Hello and welcome to the Blair Upper Cervical Podcast, a show where we interview top Blair Upper Cervical chiropractors to glean their insights, tips, and passion. In each episode, your hosts, Dr. Kevin Pekka and Dr. John Stenberg, bring something unique and inspiring to help you grow and succeed. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Blair Technique Podcast. I've got Dr. Mercedes Cook, uh, a friend, a fellow Blair chiropractor out in San Diego, California. And we're going to talk about uh, something interesting and unique, a little bit of a different topic. We started doing this podcast to interview docs that have been practicing for a long time to kind of gauge some of their experience and you know the things that we could learn from their wisdom that they've gained throughout the years. Today, we're going to kind of go in the opposite direction, and we're going to talk about some of the things that we've learned in the first five years of practice. So this might be a little bit more applicable and relevant to students who are kind of forecasting, you know, what the next next steps look like for them after school, what the early stages of their career might, might involve, some of the challenges uh, that we've encountered, some of the ways we've worked around those challenges, and then maybe some of the opportunities that young, young docs have too. Because I think the great thing about being a young doc is while you might not have the experience you know, and the wisdom that comes with that, you've got all the opportunity of the next 30 years. And there's so much uh, that can be gained in that opportunity. I think it's, it's an awesome thing to possess as a young doc. So we want to be mindful of how to navigate, you know, navigate our career strategically. Uh, and that always starts with some, some challenges. So uh, Mercedes, go ahead and introduce yourself. She's told her story on a few other podcasts. She was on with Dr. Kevin Pekka. She was on the Upper Cervical Marketing Podcast, so you can hear a little bit more about her background getting into practice. Um, so we're going to pick up from there, but if you'd like to introduce yourself and, and tell us a little bit about where you are and what you're up to, that'd be great, and then we'll start. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for having me. I am Dr. Mercedes Cooks, and I recently, well, I guess it's almost been two years now, I bought a Blair practice in San Diego. Prior to that, I was associating in Ohio. Um, and so, yeah, it's been a crazy, crazy two years, almost four years of being in practice now, but having a lot of fun and excited to share, like you said, just some challenges going through all the different, um, phases that I've been through so far, just cause I think it'll be really helpful for, um, students and docs that are, are just starting out, um, I'm also in the works of getting the diplomate in cranial cervical junction procedures. So that's been really fun as well. Um, I'm really, I'm really interested in upper cervical research and like continuing on with that. Um, and then also just continuing to build my own practice and, you know, I love loving life in San Diego. So just really thankful for or the opportunities that I have and to be able to have my own practice at the age that I am now, it's really awesome, awesome opportunity. Yeah. And it's one that, uh, when you're in the midst of the challenges and you're kind of in the, in the deep end of trying to grow your practice and figure out, you know, how you like things to be set up. We were talking about schedules earlier. Um, it can be overwhelming at times. And so having that, uh, that gratitude is important to keep, kind of keep you focused on, you know, all the things that are going right. Cause there's a lot of, there's always things you can work on and improve. Uh, but man, what a, what an awesome phase of life, brand new in practice. And so there's a lot of opportunity with that. Um, so I've got a few topics that we're going to discuss and we may branch off from there, uh, but this is a funny one. And I remember talking to my some of my other friends about these kinds of conversations with patients early on, and it still comes up occasionally, but um, 
every so often patients will ask you uh, something like, so how long have you been doing this or how old are you? Uh, <laughs> and, and what when I hear that question, what I'm what I'm hearing them say is, can I be confident, you know, in your competency? You know, can I be confident in, in the fact that you know what you're doing? And so, uh, Mercedes, how would you handle that question? Is that, is that something you hear and how do you respond with, with patients? Yeah. So I have some kind of some funny stories about this. So my first, when I first graduated and I was associating in Ohio, um, obviously I was fresh out of school. Um, and I've been told I look younger than I actually am, but I distinctly remember one example. It was maybe only a couple weeks into practice. And I was standing there, you know, reviewing x-rays with a, um, with a patient, she was probably in like her mid sixties or something. And I noticed that she was not looking at the x-rays at all. Like she was just dead staring at me. And I was like, okay, I don't know what's <laughs> happening. Um, and then all of a sudden she was like, I'm really sorry, but I just want to ask you, like, how old are you? You look like you could be like 18 years old. <laughs> and that was the first time that this had come up. So I kind of just laughed. Um, and personally, and it happened, at, well, more than a couple of times when I was in Ohio. And I don't know if it's just being like from my hometown um, and well, maybe obviously just being fresh out of school, but I was just getting it like so often people asking me how old I was. And at first I was kind of offended, but then I was like, you know, I kind of just have to take it with, with a grain of salt. Like I get it. You're when you're seeking care and maybe you're much older than, than the doctor. Yeah. Just like you said, can I be confident that this person knows what they're talking about and, and can I trust them? So how I basically handled it was, I mean, I'm always upfront with people. If they ask me how old I am, like I just tell them, I don't mind sharing how old I am. For sure. Um, and then also kind of relating it back to, you know, yeah, I totally am a young doctor, but the great thing is I've been under upper cervical care since I was 18, learning about it and like being excited to be an upper cervical chiropractor um, pretty much since I was in high school. And then that kind of brought up the topic of like, oh, wow, you're under this care too. And like, why did you start this care? Um, so I kind of just shared my own like background with them. And I feel like that sort of made them more comfortable too, because I, of course, am a patient of upper cervical care as well. So everybody kind of thought that was cool. Um, but yeah, it was interesting because in Ohio, I was getting that question a lot. And then ever since I moved to San Diego and have my practice now, I think maybe one time um, they didn't ask me how old I was, but they just sort of made the comment of, what did they say? They were like, you know, you were, um, you seem really young. However, you have just explained and told me more about my neck than I've learned trying to go through my interns the last five years. So I don't really care how young you are. I just, I just want help. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's been kind of an interesting shift from like the Midwest to, to being in San Diego. Um, and you know, maybe in the last couple of years, I look tad older, so maybe that's helping me. I don't know, but that's kind of been my, <laughs> my experience with, you know, the whole age thing. Yeah. And it's totally a fair question, right? I mean, yeah. I guess if you put yourself in the shoes of the patient, it's like, <laughs> for some people that matters more than others, perhaps. And then like the types of folks you see, and we don't see a ton of like Medicare patients, for example. So most of our patients are more 
closely peers, you know, than parents. And so, uh, you know, the way our practice has kind of evolved has gone in that direction, which makes it super easy. I think the first time I had this question, this is not the way to handle it. <laughs> I think somebody asked me like, how, how long have you been doing this? Or, you know, how long does it take to get good at this or something like that? And I said, well, if experience is the only thing that matters, I know a lot of people that have been doing the wrong thing for a long time. It's the type of experience that matters, right? right? Secondary to that, I just started recently within the past year, probably saying to folks that, that have that type of question, the great thing about upper cervical care is we're not winging it. You know, this is not something that relies on how much time the doctor has played around with patients to figure out how to get good results. We follow established procedures that have been well-documented. They have stood the test of time. They're very uh, structured. And Blair Technique is certainly, you know, at the forefront of all that with our analysis, with our management, with our adjusting, with how we check folks, with what we expect as far as outcomes. We're not making it up. You know, we're following an established, uh, you know, an established set of practice guidelines, you know, that fits our technique organization. And uh, in that way, I think you defer the experience to to the greater Blair community, the, the greater upper cervical community. It's like, no, this is a real thing. Uh, and because we follow established procedures, there's no guesswork. We know what we need to do. We know how we need to do it. And, you know, in your situation, we've seen, you know, 200 patients with a very similar situation. Uh, and we're familiar with how to proceed and we're pretty confident we can help you. And so I, I think it's, it's, it's a truthful, you know, but tricky way to kind of diffuse, diffuse the, the conversation in a way that, you know, puts it back on the procedure, which is why we do what we do, because we're all hyper analytical. You know, we all love yeah. data. We all love to see excellent results. And uh, that's why we do what we do. So it does come up. It's kind of a, it's kind of a funny conversation. And every so often folks will joke about me being old enough to be their, their son or something like that. But, yeah. but at the end of the day, I think if you're honest with folks, you know, if you're trying to, if you're trying to BS them, you know, and almost kind of look more experienced and older than you are trying to like project an image of something you're not, that's not the move. You know, people can smell that they, they crave authenticity. So you're, you're right. Meet them where they're at, be honest. Um, and it helps you understand what's important to people. So. Yeah, ab absolutely. And just like you said, I think um, <clears throat> even in my own experience, when I am, you know, speaking truth and speaking it with confidence, um, it really shows and that one patient in particular that had, that I told you kind of commented on my age, you know, I, I kind of mentioned, you know, if my age or like being much younger is an issue, like I can happily refer you, like there are other upper cervical doctors who are a lot older than me. Um, and I did say that to one person and they were like, oh no, no, I, I don't want to go somewhere else. I'm like, oh, okay, great. Um, but that was just kind of a funny funny little situation, but yeah, as long as you're being truthful with them and you're confident that you can help them and you show them why. Um, and like you said, being upper cervical, like we have very strict protocols and we're doing very precise adjustments. So yes, like obviously the longer you've been doing it, the more skilled a clinician you are, but we have a really good advantage being young docs as well, because we have such great protocols that we're still going to be able to get really good results, um, as well. So yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I've had other folks mention like they like that I'm younger because they feel like it's probably a little bit more up to date, you know, is the term they like to use, yeah. you know, what you're doing is probably, you know, the newest and, and latest and greatest in chiropractic. And they kind of like that, you know, they're not seeing someone that hasn't been 
involved in the profession for 30 years. They've been kind of just, you know, toiling away in their office a little bit out of the, out of the mainstream of what's new and exciting, yeah. uh, which also and- opens the door for an interesting conversation, which is, well, it's funny you mentioned that because upper cervical care was developed to be the gold standard in chiropractic. So it's one of the things that's been around the longest, but with modern technology and technique, we're able to apply it a lot more efficiently and effectively. You can tell I've said that a few times, but um, yeah, so it's, absolutely. it's uh, that ever, that occasionally comes up too. And so it's, it's something to lean into. That's a strength that we have, right. That we're, yeah. we're on the fr- forefront of what's new. Yeah. And I think, I don't know if you've gotten this before, but like on the other end of the spectrum, like you said, some people do like having a younger doctor. I've had several people say, you know, this is great because you're so young. You're going to be taking care of me like for the rest of my life. And I'm like, Oh, cool. And it's true. Yeah, That's yeah, awesome. I'll, I'll be here. Um, yeah. which it, it is great. Like I feel like we see very few of the people who are worried about our age, but then also at the same time, some people love having a younger practitioner. So it's great. Yeah. And, and just to kind of wrap this, this particular topic up, I mean, we all have social media, we all have our pictures on our websites and things like that. There's very few times where someone comes in and they have not done a little bit of searching or have seen me mm-hmm. somewhere online, you know? And so there's, there's that first step of like, okay, I, I understand this guy's not, you know, big gray beard. Right. So uh, there's layers that you can put between you and that, you know, that interaction that will kind of set the stage for how things go. Uh, and that's, what's great about, you know, your website, your social media, the videos that you post, you know, on your website and elsewhere and, and just yeah. give folks an idea of who you are and what you're about. Yep. Awesome. Absolutely. How has mentorship played into your development? I know you talked about having been associated twice in two different offices. So talk to us about, um, you know, where that plays into how you're, you're thinking about practice now and and how you engage with mentors. Yes. So in my own personal experience and just like thinking about upper cervical as a whole, um, I, well, I was an associate for about a year and a half, um, in Ohio. And then I moved to San Diego to the office that I was going to purchase. And I was an associate there for about four months before taking over on my own. Um, and so like not quite, but almost two years of, of being an associate. And I think that was really crucial into the success that I've had so far, mainly because my first associateship was all about clinical experience. It was in a very high volume upper cervical practice. I got to see a lot of patients um, and I got really invaluable experience. So when I got to San Diego, even though I'd only been an associate for a year and a half, I was really confident in my patient care. Like I had seen so many patients. I knew how to handle tough conversations. Um, You know, I really felt like I was prepared for the patient care aspect. Um, One thing I did not feel prepared for was owning a business. So that's kind of where the second associateship with, um, you know, the doc that I was buying the practice from, she really set me up. I mean, not only did I learn even like different and great clinical skills from her as well, um, but I also learned like what it, you know, from her perspective, like what's the best way to run a business. She had been doing it for eight years. Um, So I was sort of learning all her systems and the people she worked with and just figuring out like how to um, successfully run a practice. And so within those two years of, of the mentorship, Um, I learned so, so much, so much that, you know, despite the craziness of our world of in, in 2020, 
my practice still thrived and everything's been going amazing, um, even being in California. So I'm extremely thankful. And I don't think that I would have been as successful um, or even where I'm at today if I would have just like went and started directly on my own. Um, so for me, mentorship, especially after school, was was absolutely huge. Um, and I got to kind of learn like, how many patients do I actually like to see in a week or a day? Um, what hours would I like to work? Um, and maybe this, this is probably a little bit different in, in your experience, because I know you've kind of changed a lot. So right when I sort of took ownership, I already knew the things that I liked and I didn't like. And I'm sure that will change even, you know, years down the road. But I sort of got to start off like on a really good foot of what I liked and didn't like um, because of my mentors and my associateships that I had. So that was really cool. Cool experience. Yeah. And there's different types of mentors for different skills that you need to develop. Right. So on the business aspect of running a practice, which is a totally separate world, you know, with its own, you know, interesting challenges and opportunities, the clinical aspects of care, whether that's in your technique organization or, you know, whatever types of styles of practice you like to blend. Uh, And and like you said, I had a very different experience because I started a practice right out of school and didn't hire a coach, didn't do any of the stuff you're supposed to do. Right. But just, (laughs) yeah, just stubborn enough to, to put my head down and, and push. And so with that, you had mentioned, and we talked about this offline, I iterated and changed a lot of things because I had ideas about what I liked and what I thought would work. But when you're starting, you don't have any experience with any of it. So you don't really know what you like. You just kind of see what other folks do that you think you might like, and you kind of start with that. And then you mold and massage that into, you know, what works for your, your lifestyle, what your family's needs are, you know, how you can set yourself up to do good quality work with your patients, uh, what suits your community, you know, cause obviously San Diego and Colorado Springs, very different types of people, uh, different culture in the community and all that stuff, you know, factors in as well. Uh, so I, I was telling uh, Dr. Cook before we started, I've changed my hours, my fees, what I do on a visit, how long the visit is, um, the things I don't do on visits anymore. I mean, just there's, there's iterations that happen as you're maturing and developing, um, and so even though I didn't have mentors in office over looking over my shoulder and being able to engage on a day-to-day basis, I got connected with a ton of docs in the Blair community because this was, this was my technique. This is what I was passionate about. And I knew that even within the Blair community, we have folks that are experts at running a practice from a business uh, perspective in a variety of different models. We've got folks that understand the technique upside down, inside out, backwards, forwards. I mean, they're just masters of visualizing and understanding, you know, the mechanics of the misalignments and the adjustments. We have people that are experts in imaging, people that are experts in neurology and thermography. I mean, th- we have all these tools and uh, resources at our disposal in the Blair Society. So I just started talking to people, um, going to conferences, you know, striking up conversations, keeping the conversations going, you know, offline. And so I have, you know, sort of inadvertently developed a lot of mentorship opportunities just through our organization with different questions and challenges that you face. And as you face different types of challenges, you know, that you need to seek out a mentor who's going to be able to get you over the hump in that particular area. And so, um, yeah, it's just, it's, if you're the type of person that is, um, you know, open to input, you know, you're humble enough to, to know when to ask questions and to, you know, apply those questions in the scenario that you need to, um, the Blair Society is the best place to go, in my opinion. There's just such awesome folks. And you had talked about 
even in the upper cervical community at large, you know, in the orthogonal techniques and some of the other approaches, everybody's rooting for each other to succeed has been my experience. And so I think there's, there's way more opportunity to have these conversations and to, to develop mentors that you don't have to hire per se. I mean, if you don't want coaching or you already have coaching, any thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, I, I love hearing your experience just because, I mean, you had a really great experience doing it your way. I had a really great experience kind of doing it my way through being an associate. So I just love that. Like there, there is no one way to do it. Right. It's just what fits you, your personality, what, like what fits your life kind of in whatever phase of, of life that you're at. So it's just really cool to hear, like, there's not one correct answer, right? There's lots of different ways that you can go about, um, kind of developing into the, into the doc that you want to be. So I really love that, but exactly what you said, I think getting involved with your technique specifically getting involved with like the ICA upper cervical council. So you're not just kind of in your own technique bubble, but also like a part of all of upper cervical as a, as a community, um, that's just exposed me to so many really cool docs, just learning about different research people are doing, um, and just different concepts that may not fit within inside of our little glare circle, but you can kind of pick up things here and there just to make you a better, um, better doctor, even better business person. Um, so that's been really cool. And I don't know like what you do currently, Um, but I've always been like a coach person. Like I've wanted to be a part of a coaching program and right now I'm not a part of any coaching program, but I do have a business and personal coach for myself that I work with. Um, and that's been really huge for me because I love accountability. Um, and I just feel like I get so much more done when I, I do that. Um, but again, not everybody needs that coaching or, or needs someone to sort of like walk you through it on a, a consistent basis. So just figuring out like what, what works for you um, and just running with it. Yeah. And sometimes you have to try things and see, you know, what, what works and what doesn't. I mean, it's, it's easy to have opinions about things you hadn't done. And coaching is one of those things for me, for example, like when I started school, I was like, Oh, coaches are always just trying to rip people off. They just want to take your money. They're just going to tell you to do all the same stuff just a very immature and uneducated, you know, perspective on that just from school and being a student. Uh, so I do engage in some coaching online, uh, which has been tremendously helpful because here's what happens. A lot of times when you're trying to grow, you run into a ceiling and you don't know what, what it is that you need to change to go to the next level. If it's just you and you have no objective input coming from outside of your practice, mm-hmm. it's just, you're unable to see what those variables are that need to change. Otherwise you would have done them and you would be at the next level. And so just in terms of efficiency and thinking about, you know, these are the top, you know, things principally that you need to be focused on when you're growing and and creating a practice that, you know, really suits you. Um, And just some of the things I knew, some of the things were totally brand new. And uh, just to give folks like an idea practically of what I'm talking about, just in terms of efficiency, uh, in terms of money, time, Uh, what you're doing clinically, economy of words, you know, how you're communicating with patients, uh, thinking a little bit differently about the time spent in the office and what that, you know, should include or not include, um, how the schedule's set up, you know, the types of appointments we offer and the time allotted for each of those appointments, just a lot of different things that would fall into the category of systems. Um, uh, That stuff 
you can always dial in a little bit more. Um, handling money, you know, getting things like profit first, if you've read that book or set that up. Yeah. Um, awesome for any young doc. I mean, set it up when you're in school, you know, kind of get get a few things in place so that your your money management improves before you get into practice. Yeah. Um, especially if you're going to be taking out a loan, if you're going to be seeking out financing, starting a new practice or starting to make some money for the first time in a while, you want to have good money management skills. Um, and that's all stuff that, you know, like you'd mentioned, we don't learn in school. Uh, you don't necessarily learn from your parents if they didn't run a business or have that experience growing up. And so uh, if you don't seek those things out, you know, you're going to kind of fall to the level of your systems and, and the knowledge that you have. So um, awesome. So as far as mentorship, you know, I think we covered a lot of different avenues there. Folks have specific questions about that. Like I know uh, Mercedes mentioned, you do some coaching and that's outside of chiropractic. Yes. So this is like a business, um, personal development type coach. Yeah, I do. Um, well, one of my like personal coaches, um, the cool thing is she is a chiropractor. She doesn't practice anymore, um, but she is a chiropractor. So even though I'm working with her for like personal and wellness coaching, um, we also do like some, some business and some chiropractic related coaching. So it's kind of a good mix. Um, and then on top of that, like for me, one thing that's been really crucial is I found a group in San Diego. Um, they're called Junto and it's basically like a, um, you know, a mastermind of people who are, you know, want to be successful in business health, um, basically all the categories in the wheel of life. Um, and I found that group early on in 2020. And so that's been really huge as far as like personal development, um, kind of, you know, going into our next topic of like the work-life balance, like trying to, like, I don't just only want to be successful in business. Um, I want, you know, my personal and family life to be successful. I want my health to be optimal. Like I want all the areas of my life to be in a good, a good place, not just one. Um, so for me, like the more people that I surround myself with who care about this kind of stuff too, has been really, really crucial. And one last note about mentorship is I think just staying connected to people, like you said, I'm, well, at the current moment, I'm just mostly connected to Blair docs who have been doing this a lot longer than me, but staying connected and just having conversations on a regular basis has been really helpful um, because sometimes when you're in practice on your own, you can feel kind of isolated, right? Like you're not in school surrounded by all these people that are doing the same thing as you anymore. You're kind of off like on your own. So making sure to stay close to people and continue to just check in and, you know, talk about what's happening in practice has been really important to just not only like keep like motivation and, um, things like that, but just to not feel isolated so much. Yeah. And, and along those same lines, I think uh, building a, a network of providers in your community that is in a similar phase of life and practice is really great. You know, I've got probably a dozen or so friends that are, you know, different types of healthcare providers that are, you know, relatively in the same sort of space, you know, and so we can connect clinically, obviously, and that's how the, the conversation starts. But then as these conversations morph and kind of develop and you get into the personal life and the work-life balance and all these other things, you can learn a lot from other industries and other professionals uh, that are in a different 
you know, different industry, but similar place in life. So that, that I found has been really helpful um, and meaningful in, in my own community here, you know, outside of the upper cervical world, um, because we all, we all kind of want the same things, you know, we want to be successful. We want to help our people. We want to find a way to integrate success in practice into success in life, which is what you're talking about. And uh, you just learn from, you know, from different people that have different strengths and, and uh, we all have our blind spots. So speaking of work-life balance, um, you know, we've had conversations on the podcast, you know, that, that go all across the range of, you know, the one that comes to mind is Dr. Judge when he said he was working 16, 18 hours a day, you know, for like the first five years of practice and just crushing, you know, the, the growth of the practice and made that the top priority. Whereas later now that's shifted for him, but there was a phase of life where that was the case. How do you think about, you know, work-life balance and kind of keeping all the different aspects of your health, um, you know, with equal, equal attention? Yeah. Um, well, I have a completely different perspective than, than the one you just mentioned, mainly because for me, um, my own personal health is, is really my top priority above business, above everything. Um, because I know that if my own personal health and like physically, mentally, um, if I don't take care of that, I'm not going to be able to practice, um, you know, and I have a vision of, you know, being in practice for, you know, well until I'm 90, like I want to keep seeing my patients doing what I love. Um, and I know that I can't do that unless I take care of myself. So I really strive to, um, to keep that in mind in everything that I do. So for me, um, you know, buying a, a practice, I already, it's not like I was building from the ground up. So I have a little bit different, you know, if you're starting your own practice, you, you know, might have to kind of have somewhat of an imbalance for a little bit. Right. Um, but for me, and I still, because of 2020 and everything that's been going on, I still had to like build up the, the practice and, and make some changes. Um, but the thing for me was I was not going to be working, you know, seven, six, seven days a week, um, feeling exhausted. And also I live in San Diego, like one of the most beautiful places ever. So I want to enjoy it. Um, so the first thing for me was, okay, what would be a schedule that I absolutely love? Um, that still gives me some free time, um, time to enjoy the place that I live in. Um, and, and do the things that I want to do. So that was like a non-negotiable for me. Um, I came in and the, the practice had already had a set hours that I did not like. So, um, as soon as I took ownership, I was like, okay, these are our new hours, which was definitely hard to do because I had some, you know, limiting beliefs of like, oh, you know, I can't take Fridays off. I'm only a couple years into practice. Like, should I really be taking Fridays off? Um, and then I was like, oh yeah, I own my own business. So I'm actually allowed to do whatever I want to do. Um, so I got over that pretty quickly and was like, okay, no more Fridays. Um, so again, I think the number one thing that helped me create a, a nice balance in my life was having a schedule that I love. That was like the biggest thing. Yeah. And that's something that, uh, you know, we were talking about beforehand, you kind of, there's certain things you think you have to do, you know, like you just come up with this stuff in your head because that's what whoever said, or what you heard, or think that that's, you know, the way things should go. But, um, especially when you're early, you know, when you're starting out, it's like, think about 
the long ter- long term, you know, what's sustainable for you? You know, if you were to forecast that vision out, it's not just get as busy. As, I mean, for some people it is get as busy as possible, as fast as possible and hold on for dear life and hope you can make it all work. Um, and some people thrive in that atmosphere. I'm not one of those people. You know, I'm not one of the people I don't thrive in chaos. I like order. I like structure. And I'm yep. like you with that. So, you know, your time is your most valuable asset. It's it's the only thing that is non-replaceable, right? You can always get more money. You can always see more patients. You can always change some of these other variables in life. Um, but, but the time that's not one that you can change. And, and as your, you know, let's say family life develops, like I've got a little boy now, I don't really want to be in my office all the time anymore. You know, I've got other things that things that you want to invest your time and energy in. And, uh, you know, the interesting thing about, you know, changing hours, spending more time away from uh, the practices, like every time I've done that, I've grown, you know, by just not being, not being over-focused or sort of like bringing a negative energy into the office of like, oh, I got to push. I got to be here more. I got to work harder. Uh, when I've established a little bit more balance and a little bit more personal, I don't know, enjoyment, mm-hmm. like the practice always grows because I'm a more fulfilled person, you know, and, and someone that's, yeah. uh, you know, living a more complete life, you know, but you can, I think you can start to resent your practice if you're finding that it's, it's taking away from your life experience. Um, yeah. If you want to do more than just be in your office all the time, then you should, you should have hobbies. You should have, you know, things that are not business and practice related to take some of your time and attention uh, to keep you a little bit more well-rounded as a person. Yeah, absolutely. And I love before we got started, when you said, you know, when you just first started out, you had picked, you know, three days a week, that way, the other days you can go, you know, grow your practice and you could still enjoy some other like hobbies and things that you you may want to do. Um, but I feel like at least in my own perspective and hearing from other people, like when I was an associate, everybody was just like, well, you know, when you open your own practice, you need to just be open, you know, every day and just be at your office every day. Um, and I get it. I mean, there are going to be times where you do have to work, work more and, and you have to grow your practice up. Um, but for me, just having like personally feeling fulfilled and happy. So that way I don't get burnt out. Um, cause sadly I've seen it happen even to people that are our age. Um, and then people who get into practice and, you know, do that kind of imbalanced life of working all the time for 10 years. And then they don't want to do chiropractic anymore, which is really sad to me. Um, and like I said, I totally envision myself like being this little 90 year old lady going into my Blair practice still. Um, so if I want to do that, I have to actually value my health and, and my personal life too. So I'm going to do that now and not wait until I'm burnt out in 10 years. So, yeah, there's a, there's a certain level of endurance, you know, that you have to develop emotionally and energetically to deal with people all the time. If you're not like an extrovert and that's, you know, what, what fuels you. Um, so that's something I've had to learn too, which is how to, you know, almost like developing fitness, right? Develop more of an, in, more of an ability to hold space and interact with more people uh, with more challenges more frequently and for longer periods of time. And so it's, it's things that you don't think about. You just figure, yeah, I can do it. You know, I'll just, I'll just pound out however many visits a day in a week and it'll be great, but it, it takes something out of you, you know, and there's, there's uh, levels to that. And obviously I can't speak from a place of someone that owns multiple clinics and has multiple associates and, you know, mega high volume practice and all that sort of thing. Uh, but it, it does, it comes back to, you know, what your vision is, right? You have a clear vision of where you want to go 
in your, in your practice and in your life, folks that, you know, build multiple clinics and train associates and, and work more of a lead uh, clinic director role, they've got a vision for that and they figure out a way to, to do that. So, you know, we talked about this with Liz Hafer, who's like the queen of this, um, establishing, you know, your vision and what your values are in chiropractic and what's important to you and what, what purpose the practice serves in your life. Uh, not just what purpose you serve in the life of your patients, you know, but where your practice fits in your life. And those are all things you have to think about. Um, and as you develop a clearer, you know, clear image or vision of that, the details about how to implement it, you know, become a little bit easier to sort out uh, because there's a clear path and a direction that you're headed. So, yeah, for, for sure. And, you know, one other note on that is I think too, even in your practice, it's really easy, you know, okay, here are my set hours. But eventually you're going to become, you know, busier and things start to creep in like, oh, you know, I used to start, I used to have a half day and I would start at two, but more people want to come in. So now you're like, okay, well now I'll just start at one this week because more people need to get in. And then the next week it's like, okay, I'm going to come in at 12 because got to fit more, got to fit more people in. Um, And that's, that's a great place to be, but also I've noticed like weeks where I'm constantly bending my hours for people or staying later again, like my own health and just exhaustion like really shows. So it's, it just be mindful of how you're feeling, how you're doing, because if you continue to do that week after week, um, you know, something's going, going to get right. Um, and then I guess when that starts happening, then it's just time to look for an associate. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And, and there's a lot of docs that are, or, you know, students included that would love to have the opportunity to come into a practice like that and learn like you did and have that mentorship role and handle some of those overflow patients and be able to accommodate, you know, the practice in a way that, you know, allows you to maintain your values, but also put someone else in a, in a position where they can learn all this stuff and implement it into their own life and have a successful, happy, fulfilled life in chiropractic. Yeah. Cause it's, you know, the more, the more satisfied, happy, successful, fulfilled chiropractors we have, you know, that that's an avenue to elevating, you know, the profession, right. And we all have ideas about what things, if things would change, you know, things would get better in chiropractic, but I've met a lot of really, uh, you know, disgruntled and burnt out and, and sort of, you know, just curmudgeonly old chiropractors. And I'm like, man, you know, like you said, we've got the best, we've got the best job. There's nothing else that's more you know, fulfilling and, and rewarding than what we do. So we need to be able to do it, you know, for the long haul. And like you said, you know, our mentality with patients is we're, we're setting them up to be our, their chiropractor for life. And they may interact with us in different ways in different seasons, but, you know, our perspective is, you know, sustainability is one of the core values of, of our practice, which is, you know, we employ systems and procedures to take good care of our patients throughout the different seasons of life, you know, we'll always be there for them. And so, you know, if, if we're not mindful of, you know, the self-care and the, you know, the balance and all that kind of thing, it doesn't actually put us in a position for our patients to succeed. And so it's actually a counterproductive goal, you know, to do what you were saying, which is make those exceptions and bend, you know, bend, break your own rules, you know, for the sake of those, you know, a couple extra visits. So. Yeah, exactly. And one thing that always like has, has stuck out to me is I feel like I've read this in multiple places. I don't know who actually said it, but something about like, you either have time or you have money. So a lot of people have lots of money, right? But they're always working and yeah. they, they don't have free, free time or freedom or independence, um, or you have lots of free time, but 
you don't have money. Um, and I want to challenge that because I don't think that's true. I think it's very possible to have time and money if you establish and create that work-life balance um, and you have very clear, you know, like what is it that you're looking to get out of your practice, out of your personal life? Um, so that's like something that I, not that I, I by no means have it all figured out, but I don't accept the fact that you only get one, like you either get free time or you get money. So I'm just like, okay, kind of like we talked about, if we set the schedule we love, um, we create the highest value for our patients with the specialty chiropractic that we do, we will be compensated well. Um, and I think that there's absolutely a, a way to have time and money, like you just have to create it yourself. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's challenging, you know, and that's not something that you accidentally figure out, you know, it takes time and effort and a lot of these conversations, you know, to, to continue to bring it to the forefront of your mind so that, you know, you know, what you can work on and where you need to go with it. So, um, yeah, yeah it's, I, I hope that folks that are listening, understand we're just sharing our experiences. You know, we're not consultants. We're not coaches. We're not telling you what, what you should or shouldn't do, but this is, um, this is what I love about having these conversations is we just get to bring, bring the topics to the table. We get to sort of stimulate the thoughts and have the conversations. And hopefully folks that are listening uh, can give us some feedback and weigh in, you know, share your experience with us uh, through the different channels that were, were available. And, and we love to add more depth to the conversation through other people's experiences. Cause the more, the more access you have to different experiences, it open up, it opens up your mind of what the possibilities and the opportunities are. Um, and so if you're a student, go visit, you know, tons of offices, you know, get yourself in different practice environments to see what really gets you fired up, what really resonates with you. You may want that high volume, very fast paced, you know, big team office. You might like a smaller sort of concierge type, you know, practice or boutique type practice um, and, or anything in between. So uh, reach out to Mercedes and I, we'd love to have you. We'll show you guys how we roll. Uh, and yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Like I said, give us some feedback. I love to get emails from, from folks that listen and say, we like this, or you should have this person on, on the podcast. So Blair Cairo podcast at gmail.com. Give us some feedback or in a comment or a review. Uh, that's awesome too. Any other uh, topics, uh, anything else about being a young doc that you think is, is exciting that is challenging or, uh, things that you like to discuss with that kind of my, not really like advice, but again, just things that have really helped me was if I didn't invest in myself, um, and that, that means like my, my own personal health. And just like, for me, investing in myself was joining other organizations of business owners who are like very high achievers and having my own personal business coach. Um, if I had not invested in myself or just been like, Oh, these things are too expensive. You know, I'm a new doc. I shouldn't spend the money. Um, I wouldn't be even half of where I am right now if I didn't invest in myself in those, in those ways. Um, so I think just, you know, the biggest thing, if you're a student and, and just, somebody that's just starting out, like, don't be afraid to invest in yourself because as soon as you do that, um, you will see your practice, or if you're an associate, you'll see your relationships within the practice grow so much faster than if you just try to figure it out on your own. Like we don't have to figure things out on our own. We just need to get involved, listen to other people, listen to other like fresh perspectives. Um, so don't like, don't be afraid to do that. Awesome. And we'll make sure that you guys can get access to uh, Dr. Mercedes 
uh, in the links and in the comments here in the show notes and all that sort of thing. So that if you uh, want to have that conversation with her, she'll be available to you. And I know that she's involved yeah. in the upper cervical community. I believe you're involved with the ICA council on upper cervical care. It's like a PR chair or something like that. Yeah. Yep. I'm the public okay. relations chair. And then with Blair, just most recently, um, Dr. Becky Ellis and I were kind of taking over the director of student, um, um, kind of the student directors and just getting connected with the schools and the students. So people have resources or the students have resources and access to docs like us that they can talk to and ask questions um, and just get more connected. So, you know, you know that you're, you're not alone. You have lots of, of mentors and people working, willing to, you know, work with you and chat with you and whatever. Absolutely. I, I'm really excited about you guys being in that, in that position. Cause I think you guys are, you guys are powerful women. I think the Blair society has the most powerful women in chiropractic, They're just full of like, just go getters. You know, I'm inspired by all of them. Dr. Roche, Dr. Liz Hafer. I mean, the list goes on and on. They're just awesome. So, um, love to have you guys in that position. I think you're going to bring a ton of value to students and be relatable. You know, like when you're a student, you think that the chasm between where you are and success and practice is just insurmountable. It just seems like a different world in reality. In a lot of ways it is, but we're here to help bridge that gap and help you, yeah. you guys realize that it's, it's not so far out of reach. And uh, you're not, like you said, you're not alone in trying to get to that, you know, that destination. So awesome. Yeah. I don't think I have anything else to add. Um, obviously as, you know, as time goes on, we'll, we'll have this conversation again. Let's do it in five years when we've been yeah. in practice for 10 years and kind of see how silly we thought this conversation was and what we've learned since then. Um, but, you know, I think the vulnerability to be able to share where you're at and what your values are and, and your perspective is admirable. So I appreciate you setting up the time to do that with us this morning. And uh, like I said, folks, leave us comments, questions, uh, any feedback that you have, anything you liked or didn't like, agreed or didn't agree with. I uh, would love to bring all that to the table as well to kind of round out the conversation. Uh, so thanks, Dr. Mercedes. We appreciate the heck out of you. Look forward to seeing you in Dallas in a few months. Yes. Uh, this podcast will be coming out probably mid-September. And so that'll give you guys time to get online, blairtechnique.com, register for the convention in Dallas. There's a really awesome speaker lineup. Um, it's always a great time. You know, there's always a million opportunities to grow. There's kind of like a group consciousness you know when you've got all these people together that all want the same thing it's like you learn fast and so really excited for that um down in dallas texas so looking forward to seeing you there and then we'll sign off if you have any other last words of encouragement or just like to say bye and we're out of here yeah thank you so much for having me and like you said I encourage anybody, you know, make, come to the Dallas conference. It's so much fun just having, you know, community and getting everybody together. Um, and the conversations, not only like the awesome speakers that will be there, but the conversations that you have afterwards, just getting to chat with everybody is just invaluable. So I really encourage everybody to get involved and, um, you know, get to as many conferences as you can. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or colleague. Be sure to subscribe for future episodes and check the show notes for links to our hosts, guests, and other relevant information. And head on over to www.blairchiropractic.com to find out more about Blair Upper Cervical Chiropractic or to find a doctor close to you. 
If you're a chiropractor or healthcare provider, you'll want to look at www.blairtechnique.com for information on upcoming events, professional development resources, and some very useful online training modules. You can also find a link to make a charitable donation, which is greatly needed to advance research. Until next time, be well.